0: Hello, Theology and the Raw listeners. Thanks for joining me on this extra, extra, extra special show I have on the podcast today, my best friend, Dr. Joey Dodson. If you know anything about me, you might have heard about Dr. Joey Dodson. We go way back. We met at Aberdeen University where we were both doing PhDs in New Testament studies And as you will see from this podcast, or I should say, as you will hear from this podcast, are I guess we're not the typical kind of PhD-ish scholarly types. Um, And you're going to hear some stories about why that is. But I just, I'm so excited for this episode. Joey is super brilliant. He's super funny. And he just makes the bible exciting you're going to hear all kinds of stuff in this episode about the context of the Bible, about lots of parallel stories that you know um, from the Bible and uh, about parallel stories that existed all across the ancient world that resonate with some of the biblical stories you're going to be stretched, you're going to be challenged you're going to laugh, you're going to cry. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I had such a wonderful time catching up with my good friend, Joey Dodson. So please give it up for Dr. Joey Dodson. All right, I'm here with my best friend, Joey Dodson. Joey... um yeah, thanks for being on the show. I can't believe that uh, I rarely... I think you've been on the show like once. Is that correct? Once or twice? That's right. I'm sorry, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's okay. I don't feel like I'm very good at podcasts anyway, so it's awesome.
0: So I, yeah. I, I've got a video of you, and I haven't seen you in several months. You look a, like super skinny and in shape. you been working out or drinking your green smoothies
1: or what? Yeah, I'm doing that weird vegan thing. Is that what it being, is? being evangelical and vegan. You know, it's just, I want to be that 0.01%. Uh,
0: are you under, are you under like your average weight or is it just the camera? I mean, you look like really good, man.
1: <laughs> You're not going to put this on the podcast, are you?
0: Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Very <laughs> embarrassing me. Uh, no, just did just doing the vegan diet. I've been doing it for about two years and uh, yeah, I feel like I'm where I need to be.
0: Wow. And it, but you, yeah, I mean you exercise a lot, right?
1: I do. I haven't of the move, but um, yeah. I, I do like to exercise as well.
0: So you um, were at Wachita Baptist University for how many years? 10 years? 11. 11 years. Yeah.
1: Longest I've ever been anywhere.
0: Yeah, right? And yeah. then you recently, as of a few weeks ago, moved to Denver, Colorado to take a job at Denver Seminary, which... I'm really excited about it because I love Denver Seminary. I think they're doing great work there. Tell us about Uh, that whole transition. Is it going well?
1: It is. I feel like I'm still on vacation. Yeah. Uh, So I've been here for a month, but I've been back and forth speaking at youth camps and things. Okay. And so I feel like it's it's a great vacation. But God's fingerprints are all over it. It's like it's custom fit for us. Um, I've never found an organization that balances faith and scholarship Mm. um, as well as Denver Seminary. And as you know, that's my heart as well to... Yeah. It's almost like a Reese's peanut butter cup, um, the <laughs> Easter version, where the chocolate and peanut butter is absolutely perfectly.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: the ratio is perfect. Um, Denver Seminary is close to that. That's my it's
0: impression, lit- and, and from the people I know that are professors there, people I know that have gone there, they seem to be passionate about the church, about the gospel, and yet very. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> and yet <laughs> intellectually, like very ca- capable, not only capable, but also very, and I don't know what term to use here, but very fair, balanced, non-angry, um, you know, even talking to Lynn a few weeks ago on the podcast, who's your is dean, I believe, right? That's and and professor, you know, she said, yeah, I mean, we have complementarians and egalitarians and we actually get along well, <laughs> like, like uh, we actually don't have one kind of sub tribe that we must all fit into. We mm-hmm. value the diversity and humble humanizing agree to disagree kind of conversations. Um, I mean, right. you've only been there a few weeks, but is that, have you sensed that spirit there as well? Definitely. Oh, that's awesome, man. So my first Joy Dodson story, I'm at, Uh-oh. um, I'm actually in the office of Simon Gatherkel, our, our, uh, who ended up being both of our PhD supervisors and, um, I had been in my PhD program for about six months and uh, we were getting a fresh round of students coming in. And Simon said, yeah, you know, I got, we got a guy coming in doing new Testament studies. He's doing some work on Paul. Um, His name is uh, Joseph and um, he's got three or four kids. I forgot how many was at that time, you know? So so I had this image of like, (laughs) for some reason, like kind of tall, slender beard, thick glasses, kind of a nerdy guy, you know? And then, um, a few weeks later, maybe a couple of weeks later, I'm in the library, and um, I'm, I'm going down towards the theology section, and, and I, I see this guy coming at me. He, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this, part of this may be fictitious. Part of it may be true. I don't know. But he's got baggy pants. He's got a low beanie. You know? I'm like who is this flipping guy? You know, like is he taking a wrong turn. And what's he doing at the African library? <laughs> Turned out to be Joseph, AKA Joey Donson. <laughs> I was like, this guy looks like a failed youth pastor more than a scholar, but, but shortly into our PC programs, I'm like that whole persona Just didn't, I mean, you were actually a a geek, right? I mean, like you would rather, (laughs) when you had that whole vibe going on, you had the youth pastor thing, you've been a youth pastor, you can bottle it up with people on the courts. I mean, you, you, you can do, you can play that whole world. And yet- you absolutely love studying Greek and Seneca. And as we'll talk about it a little bit later, you know, Hercules and Jesus parallels or whatever. I mean, (laughs) do you remember that at all? Or what was your first impression with, with us connecting in Aberdeen?
1: I I remember coming into the office and you were sitting there with Simon and he introduced us. That's my first time. Oh, that's right.
0: Okay. Oh, so that might have been after he. Because I know he meant. I know hearing about your name before I saw you. So that's right. I think there was another time when you came in. I was like, yeah, that didn't. That didn't really fit. But
1: yeah, you so, had a whole California vibe going on, SoCal guy.
0: So what's what's that vibe? Is that
1: the surfer boy man?
0: <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it, do you remember me growing my hair out there? I, I, I do. Yeah, I didn't cut it for like a awesome. year and a half, maybe two years. I was like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get. I'm not going to cut my hair kind of like Samson until I get my PhD, but man, it got <laughs> so nasty, man. It, I, I do not. Uh, I've always wanted to be a, like a cool, like long hair kind of guy. It just never worked yeah. for me. So haven't done it since you on the other hand are have are protesting hair. Are you, you've been doing the <laughs> shaved head thing for a while, right?
1: I have been. Yeah. And it just stopped growing back. So
0: <laughs> hair's overrated. Um, <laughs> So you grew up in the South, um, and you grew up, I mean, doing ministry at a really young age, right? I mean, you started doing youth ministry. Well, I mean, just right out of high school or at
1: the age 18 was my first youth pastor position.
0: Yeah. Um, when did you start getting interested in like scholarship? Like when did doing a PhD in biblical studies come on the horizon? Was that early on as well? Or is that kind of a later thing?
1: Uh, my sophomore year in my college, uh, Dr. Uh, Scott Duvall approached me. I had, had him for Greek, and he said, Joe, you have a lot of volume. I'm sorry, you have a lot of noise, but I think if you pursued biblical studies, that would give you some volume. Hmm. And uh, encouraged me to take Greek with him that May doing a Greek reading of Ephesians. Hmm. And it was an intensive term. Uh, I was there with Justin Harden and Ben Blackwell. Oh, wow. uh, and we got up at 8 o'clock every morning and translated Ephesians. Until about four. And that really was a turning point. That I, I saw the Word of God. I memorized the Word of God. I connected with it in ways I never had before. And at that point, I was like, that's what I want to do with other students. Huh. And of course, Scott Duvall, he's great at yeah. also bridging. He, he referred to himself as a carburetor, uh, which I don't know anything about cars. So, um, but, but I think he said he likes to take what's in the academy uh, and filter it down uh, yeah. for um, educated lay people and people of the church and the pastors. And so, that's kind of the vein that, that I followed. And, you know, again, he, he has all these one-liners that I'm not sure he probably even remembers, but he, he told me as well that you can produce fruit the rest of your life or you can produce fruit trees. Hmm. And uh, pers- pursuing biblical studies helped me produce fruit trees and pastors. Yeah. So that really was the turning point, having that voice speak into my life.
0: And you've got disciples kind of scattered all, all around, man. I mean, I meet people mainly on like social media, but at conferences and stuff who have studied under you and, and you've had, you know, some level, if not a significant level of impact. I mean, is that, is that exciting for you to see all these little dots and disciples running all around, or is it scary or. <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't want to call them dots and disciples. They, they've, you know, I'm just a drop in the bucket of what they're doing, but I'm proud of them and excited. And it, it's awesome. But now if I have a theological question or a Greek question, I'll uh, email Dr. Madison Pierce or yeah. uh, Dr fresh or if I have a, a theological question, I'll email this person or that person. Yeah. And so you know, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of a hobbit. Um, they're giants are standing <laughs> on my shoulder, but I love, I love uh, SBL ETS yeah. um, IBR because I get to reunite with all of them, to find out what they're doing in their research and how they're um, also producing those fruits.
0: You've turned out some sharp students too. I mean, I've talked to some of these, I almost said students or kids or whatever, but man, they're, they're like, killing it with scholarship and just thinking and writing them. I mean, they are truly the next generation of Christian leaders. Um, it's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Again, I'm humbled. It's, um, it's just a drop in the bucket what I've done in their lives. Um, they, they already were great. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't take credit for that.
0: So you go to, you went to a couple different seminaries, Southwestern and HBU. No, not HBU. Wait. Yeah,
1: Talk. that's right. So I was at Southwestern, Uh, When it was at HBU, um, because I was doing I was a youth pastor in inner city Houston. Right. uh, So I did my seminary uh, with Southwestern at HBU. And so it was under uh, David Capes was my mentor there.
0: Yeah. And then went over to Aberdeen University where we started hanging out. Um, There were two, two. (laughs) <laughs> this is theology in the raw folks. So just prepare yourself. Um, there, there are Which two theology in the raw could actually
1: just summarize those three years in Aberdeen What's for that? us. That theology in the raw could summarize <laughs> our entire time. In Aberdeen.
0: We, when we hit it off, we were both doing Pauline studies, both doing kind of early Judaism and Paul and both of us interpret Romans seven correctly that it's not talking Correct. about a Christian. <laughs> um, and so we kind of hit it off early on. Um, do you remember that first? There was that one conference we were both involved in, or invited to be at. It was that small kind of invite only thing on Paul and apocalypticism, I think. And it was yeah, like, Yeah, that's right. Do you yes, that's right. And we were like, Yeah, that was awesome. And Sammy picked around. Yeah, and Sami picked us to be like Martin, chauffeur these guys around and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, Douglas Campbell. Oh man, I couldn't even talk to him. My tide was tongued
0: and. <laughs> Lou Martin I saw Lou Lou Martin Martin. I remember one time I I was driving that little tiny car That I had It was like a clown car and I had like Lou Martin Doug Campbell and one other person It was like the three main kind of like Paul and apocalyptic Kind of People and, and most of my audience might not know what that means, it doesn't really matter, but anyway, it was like, Man, if I crash this car, that whole movement will go down in flames. Because <laughs>
1: <laughs> at the conference, if you remember, uh, Douglas Campbell at Duke was uh introducing his apocalyptic uh, paper, that's right. And in the middle of that, uh, Friedrich Avamarie, um, from was he, was he at Munich at that time, Where was he?
0: I think he was at Munich, yeah.
1: Yeah, and he's passed away since. He has, yeah. yeah. But um, a Lutheran background, and he got so frustrated at Doug Campbell's. He interrupted the paper. <laughs> Do you remember this? <laughs> nine, nine. That's a That's a going to throw things at one another. And oh, Doug man. smile that came up. Like he was uh, just intentionally pushing yeah. Friedrich buttons.
0: Well, Doug Campbell, Campbell where has
1: that. That's where I met Trolls and Berg oh, right. well, who uh, introduced me to Seneca.
0: Is that Is that where your thing on Seneca your little your little Seneca fetish really started kicking in? Was that that conference with trolls
1: it was, it was the first time I heard of Seneca okay. that, that I really like heard of him, like I'm sure I' read things about him before, uh, but it was the first time where because I was wanting to do Roman seven, and I shared my thesis with Lou Martin and Lou <laughs> said, yeah that, that sounds interesting, but not very convincing <laughs> and, and I think Simon had kind of, kind of said the same thing, and then uh, trolls. Said, you know, this sounds a lot like Seneca, and mm. went on for about thirty minutes, um, connecting Romans seven and Seneca, and um, and then John Barclay was there, and he was the one who told me, you know, there needs to be more done with Romans and the wisdom of Solomon, and so that little conference, which is like the second week that I was there, oh right, I had oh, yeah, had a bigger, um, impact on my direction and scholarship.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's right. That happened. Yeah. That, that was my first summer. I came in in January. You came in that, that summer. I didn't realize, yeah, you were right. Wow. So that's when your thesis really took on. So your, your, your PhD work, um, and I don't want to be, we, we can, I don't want to bore my audience too much, but your PhD work was on, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> Charlie Brown's teacher, um, <laughs> uh, was on, uh, the wisdom of Solomon and, um, the book of Romans. Can you, can you give us the, um, uh, youth pastor, elevator pitch version of, of what you were studying to, to somebody who might have, uh, you know, um, maybe a first year Bible college degree under their belt.
1: Wow. I haven't read that book in so long. I've forgotten. <laughs> right. So should I wrap it then? Uh, no. Uh, in Romans, Paul uses personification. So he personifies the law. It sneaks in the back door rather than just saying God gave the law. Uh, creation is not that which is going to be renewed, but she's one who sticks out her neck, stands on her tippy toes, or Mm -hmm. tiptoes, how do you say it in Idaho, um, (laughs) looking for redemption, uh, righteousness by faith, Um, actually quotes scripture. And so Paul has all these personifications in Romans that are, it's unusual. We don't see them uh, as much in his other letters. So why does Paul use personification? The student student who wrote Wisdom of Solomon was very influential. He was probably like the C.S. Lewis of the, New Testament day of the first century. So a lot of people were drawing upon him. A lot of scholarship before said that uh, even when Paul writes Romans 1 and 2, he has the wisdom of Solomon uh, right there beside him. And he also uses uh, a lot of these personifications as well. Yeah. And the question was, uh, and when it comes to Romans, a lot of people were like, sin and death, are these demonic powers or are they just a rhetorical device? Mm -hmm. And But but they, they were loggerheads. And so that was kind of the fight. Nah, uh an uh uh nah going back and forth. <laughs> and so my question was not, are they personified powers or rhetorical device, but why is Paul using them in the first place? Wow. And so I went back in the first century uh, looking at uh, why and when was personification used. And often it was used uh, when you had tricky um, issues dealing with the problem of evil. And so the wisdom of Solomon, Paul personified uh, when you're asking this question of what about the, the redemption of Israel, they use personification. And so what, what about the role of the law? And so rather than God giving the law, it sneaks into the back door. And so uh, that, that, I was looking at why Paul uses personification in comparison with the Wisdom of Solomon.
0: That's interesting. So yeah, Wisdom of Solomon, if, for those who might be familiar, it's, it's part of the so-called apocrypha. Um, so if you're Catholic, or Orthodox, it's in your Bible. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating book. I didn't do it. I've I, you know read it a few times, but haven't been, have, haven't done the extensive work you've done with it. But it's it is. I mean, if you just read it once and then read Romans, you're like, man, yeah. this this sounds. It certainly reads at least portions of it like a dialogue partner, and some metaphors and phrases are almost like, man, cut out of the cloth of the New Testament. That you know, for me, the, the and this is why I did a PhD in the in early Judaism and in, in Paul, and I think you did too, is just to see how important the Jewish context is for the new Testament. The new Testament is simply a document within the larger world of early first century, not only Judaism, but also just Greco Roman kind of thinking and writing. Right. Um, I mean, that, to me, that was the biggest takeaway apart from my, whatever I proved in my thesis, I can't even remember, but like just living in that world for three years, it's, uh, you just can't read the Bible the same after that, you know, you
1: know there's this constant seamless interpenetration between Judaism, Greco Roman philosophy and early Christianity. Yeah, and fascinating, and it just you go down that rabbit hole, and it goes, 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 goes. Yeah. Um,
0: so our, our our mutual scholarly interests kind of began our relationship together, um, but I think our relationship was crystallized when I came to you in your office and uh, said, Joey, I got a problem. <clears throat> <laughs> I've got two little kids at home who are trying to sleep. And I got these junior high girls who keep doorbell ditching my apartment and they keep waking up my kids and my wife is furious. So, and this is before I became a pacifist. So, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, Aberdeen never gets warm. And so the water is always cold. I'm like, okay, I got a plan, Joey. I need some help. I'm, I, am i am going to, um, get a bucket of cold water. And when these girls come by and ring the doorbell, I'm going to reach the fence and, and and flood them with a bucket awesome. of freezing cold water. And what did it for me, and for, as far as our friendship, is you didn't you didn't blink an eye. It's like you didn't look <laughs> up from your desk like, yeah, sure, what time? <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> you don't have any moral issues with this? And you're like, yeah, at 1230, I'll be there. <laughs> I needed somebody to kind of send the signal from across the street like, okay, now... Um <laughs> our plan failed because contrary to what I was expecting, they actually rang the doorbell and crossed the street. So I was there. Right. Or did you have the bucket or did I have the bucket? One of us had the bucket.
1: I thought we both had buckets. Oh do we
0: both have buckets? Oh, that's right. No, yeah, nobody's across the street. Yeah, we both had buckets. I I saw some of them crossing the street, so I put my bucket down, like, ah, oh, we missed them. But then somebody ran by. I'm like, dang it, I could have really <laughs> doused this girl. So here's two fathers, husbands, PhD students <laughs> trying to throw on our lunch break, trying to throw a bucket of cold water at a bunch of junior high girls. Uh, oh man. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway. So uh, <laughs> well, let's talk about Seneca. Um, who is Seneca and, and why have you been so interested in studying Seneca and in, in particular, the, the resonance that Seneca has with New Testament thought, in particular Pauline thought.
1: Yeah, so Seneca was a Stoic, um, which is a Roman philosophy that was very popular. Um, And he's the most prolific. He wrote the most uh, about Stoicism in the first century. And so uh, you may be familiar with his brother, um, Gallio, who was in Corinth. He was the governor of Corinth. That's his brother? Yeah, that's right. So
0: I was just in Corinth a few weeks ago
1: yeah and actually the you have seneca's name in corinth so right across from the bema yeah. the judgment area uh there's a stone that has seneca's name on it
0: seriously so, oh, i missed it yeah, so i was really
1: geeking out when i was there uh, last wow. march um because i had paul right behind me in seneca uh right there because you remember uh, the the christian stood right before Galileo yeah Galio yeah yeah
0: me and my kids reenacted yeah. that whole scene yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah. so um and so really significant. Uh, Seneca was the tutor of Nero, but he knew that Nero was going to be a monster, uh, even from the very beginning. So he writes this book on providence. Uh, Nero ends up um, executing Seneca along with the rest and Seneca quips, of course, he's going to execute me. He's executed everyone else. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was almost uh, like he knew he was raising out Lord Voldemort, um, you know, the dark Lord uh, with that. But um, yeah, so you may be familiar with Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Gladiator, your, your right? yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, maybe just from Gladiator, uh, not yeah. to bring in fight, but um, yeah, so Marcus Aurelius, uh, was, would kind of be like the pop star, he would be like the Taylor Swift to <laughs> Seneca's U2, if you will. Um, a oh. rolling star, I don't know who would be the well, the, I knew Marcus
0: parallel. Aurelius was a stoic, but I didn't know he was that high up in the kind of like stars of stoicism.
1: He, well, he, he's a star. He's more popular because of his meditations, but his meditations is almost like the pop music of okay. uh, the Stoic,
0: Interesting. but Seneca's is
1: much deeper. So he wrote all these essays and letters, um, okay. uh, to, and, and letter dealing with some of the same issues that we see Paul dealing with okay. and, uh, yeah, focusing on moral formation and yeah. So,
0: so the ethics of Stoicism is very similar to Paul, right? And can you give us some examples of that?
1: Yeah, well, one thing I like about uh, Seneca is that, whereas Paul would say in Ephesians, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he doesn't really go into depth on how do we overcome that anger. Hmm. Um, And so he mentions that in passing. And I think, of course, it's Paul's um, Holy Spirit-centric ethic. Uh, But with Seneca, he has like three books on anger and how to overcome anger and why to overcome anger. And so there are some scholars that say that uh, Seneca was right on the threshold of Christianity and didn't even know it. Um, Yeah. However, according to church tradition, Seneca ended up becoming a believer. And uh, so the early church fathers really? referred to him as our Seneca. Yeah. So there's this great book um, called Paul and Seneca and Dialogue uh, with Brill uh, that uh, you can get a copy of. And uh, the very first essay in that uh, has the 1,000 years of Paul and Seneca. Hmm. Back in the Middle Ages, uh, there was such a fascination with uh, Paul and Seneca that uh, there were these letters that were written Uh, between the two um, kind of a fanfare fan fiction type idea um that happened uh, to introduce pagans to paul and maybe vice versa um paul to pagans as well but
0: interesting huh i've reviewed that book but i haven't read it but
1: (laughs) 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 you want to get a free copy
0: (laughs) i think i have it
1: and it's really expensive so then you can sell it right back on amazon
0: (laughs) make some money (laughs) So so yeah, give, give us some uh, touch points between New Testament ethics or specifically Pauline ethics um and, and Seneca or Stoic ethics that would be very, very similar. Like if they're if, if Paul and Seneca were in a room, where would they be like just amen in each other on on ethical points?
1: Yeah, uh, Seneca and Paul both depict themselves as being crucified, hmm. um, which is really unusual. They're the only two People that I know uh, in the first century that have this idea of whereas Paul would say I've been crucified with Christ Seneca has this idea of I've been crucified with Plato and with Cato um, and the great philosophers really? both of them use this uh, use this depiction in response to these haters who are hating on them uh, accusing them of hypocrisy so Galatians for Paul um, and it's in uh, the good life for Seneca and so in both of them with that not only is it the same context but uh, the cross represents sin. And so Seneca says, Hey, why are you guys giving me a hard time? I'm on my cross and I'm not perfect, um, but I'm trying to get off of the cross. That is sin. Um, and the same way uh, you, uh, crucified, uh, vilified Plato and company, that's what you're doing to me. So I'm in good company. And, uh, he says, I'm trying to get off my cross while all of you are laying on your crosses, your sinful pleasures, not even trying to get off and spitting on those who are at the bottom of your cross, uh, mocking you. Uh, And so so, and then you have Paul that, of course, says that I died to sin on the cross. And for Paul, he's been crucified with Christ, but not just with Christ, but the believers are also crucified with him. And so you have this idea of the cross being that which uh, represents sin, uh, and for Seneca, the place that you you want to get off of, and for Paul, the place where sin goes to die, and he relishes, he glories in the cross, um, in contrast to Seneca.
0: Now, now Seneca... I would assume isn't thinking about Jesus. He's probably not even aware of that. Maybe so. So there's this other. There's kind of a pre-understanding or another category of cross sin being crucified that exists kind of outside of the crucifixion of Jesus. That maybe the crucifixion of Jesus participates in, but doesn't necessarily create. If that if that makes sense. There's there's a pre-existing kind of idea out there of crucifixion and sin. Is
1: that or how, Yeah, how you, uh, again, we kind of thought Paul was seminal with this idea. Right. I mean, we could go back to Deuteronomy where it curses everyone who hangs upon a tree. Uh, but uh, Seneca is the very first one that we have that that we know of, uh, aside from Paul, that is going to connect sin and uh, crucifixion. Uh, but Seneca, he also he lists like the three most glorious deaths, uh, one being, of course, Socrates, and the other one, this guy named Regulus. Uh, Regulus was a Roman general who fought in the Punic Wars uh, back when uh, Rome was fighting against Carthage. And he was captured and he was crucified. Uh, but in his crucifixion, he overcame uh, Lady Fortune, the goddess Lady Fortune, and Ta Damonia, the demons. Um, and so he overcame, through his crucifixion, not only the Carthaginians, but also these demonic um, powers we were after him. And so it was super popular. Um, everybody writes about it. Um, Cicero seems to fangirl over Regulus. Um, it was so popular that by the middle of the first century, so the new Testament was written in the middle of the first century. Uh, this was part of the education. It was the Roman propaganda and it was part of the public education of the kids, the story of Regulus. And so when we get to the early church fathers, they're going to point back and say, Hey, you, you can't uh, say that Christ's uh, death was shameful because you use your own regulus as an example of that. And so um, here you again have them drawing upon these Roman history stories to contextualize the gospel very early on.
0: That Wow. Um, Do you think that the New Testament retelling of the crucifixion of Christ, I guess I should say, do you think that some New Testament writers who are retelling the crucifixion of Christ were thinking of that? Regulus story is, is that could that be an actual backdrop and is it almost like a an implicit critique of that story or how would you or, or is it hard to tell if there's an actual relationship
1: yeah um correlation causation <laughs> of course um but, but we're not quite sure uh the, the, the evangelists how much they're going to draw upon that I do think that in Colossians two fifteen, when Paul talks mm-hmm. about this triumphal procession. oh by the way uh Regulus was led in a triumphal procession by Lady Fortune before he overcame her Oh, wow. uh, and he gave his life as a ransom for these. And so uh, since it was part of the Roman propaganda, I think the Colossians has some anti-imperial or super-imperial. Do you, do you want to explain what that is? Anti-imperial where you
0: had these kind of um, themes that are paraded around in the first century Roman empire. Um, you know, the, the the Roman empire brought peace and prosperity and good news to all the land and, you know all, all these things that, if you look at the New Testament, it sounds like these theological themes. I'm using scare quotes here for theological themes. They are theological themes, but they are also very political in the, in their background. So they're yeah. um, so so like the proclamation that Jesus is Lord is kurios, There's an implicit kind of whisper in the wake of that that says Caesar is not. <laughs> um, was Which that is accurate? Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you're saying that this might have that kind of counter imperial yeah
1: that's right um or maybe a super imperial uh so I, I use this story of uh, growing up uh, on the arkansas louisiana line uh i was raised as a razorback fan and our enemy who we thought was our enemy was the university of texas so uh, we defined ourselves with a razorback symbol or with the longhorn symbol turned upside down
0: oh right and i remember
1: meeting my first uh, texan uh, U- uh, university of texas fan. And saying, "Yeah, you guys are enemies." And he looked at me and said, "Who are you? You're, you're not. You're not our rivals. We, we don't even know who Arkansas is." <laughs> and so it could be that idea that uh, when Paul, uh, like in Colossians two fifteen, where uh, Christ uh, takes off uh, the powers and authorities and he leads them in a triumphal procession, it may be that this is not anti-imperial, a la anti-right, but super-imperial, where uh, Christ's crucifixion, his triumphal procession, is so much greater that. Uh, the Roman uh, propaganda doesn't even begin to compare. Hells in comparison.
0: I've never heard that distinction. That's really helpful. The the, the anti-imperial versus super-imperial. We're both we're we're, the, we're understanding the imperial kind of concept is still helpful yeah. for giving some sort of shape, some contextualization to this otherwise kind of abstract seeming concept in the, in the New Testament.
1: Yeah um cabin rose world upside down um is one of the best books to go for that
0: yeah yeah you're a big fanboy cabin I, I haven't read his stuff I mean, in a long uh, yeah. I, I, so since then i've read i think parts i know parts of the book i don't think i read the whole thing but he is he still like killing it in scholarship i don't i, I i'm not in the scholarly world as much yeah. as i used to be but. right right
1: right uh his latest book um is one true life uh which actually deals with christianity and stoicism really saying that we can actually. We cannot actually compare the two, or I'd be very uh, cautious in comparing the two. Um, and so it sent a lot of uh, people like trolls and Bert Peterson uh, yeah. into a panic um, with it, with his arguments. Oxford University Press came out a couple of years ago, okay. but yeah, he's such a great thinker. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I do fan boy over him.
0: Yeah, he's. I'm gonna read his stuff. I, you know, I read his. Um, I think I read his dissertation on the use of curios. Uh, lord in in luke's writings um or maybe it's just gospel luke and man is he's pulling from like medieval literature for no reason i mean he's just like all over the (laughs) the place i heard somebody say that um and i can't verify this so i'll just throw it out there but richard hayes who's one of the you know all-time great new testament scholars of the late 20th century early 21st century um I heard somebody say that Richard Hayes said, hands down, Cavan Rowe was the best student he's ever had. And he's had some pretty yeah. sharp students. Right. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I've heard the same.
0: Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I kind of missed that world, dude. I mean, you you, st- you stayed in it. You're still publishing all <laughs> these high-powered journal articles, and I can hardly read them anymore. But um, do you still love it when you I mean, yeah, because I mean, you could easily go into kind of pop Christianity, be a circuit youth speaker, whatever. Like you can live in that not so academic uh, world if you wanted to, but you, your main love is still Seneca and Paul and Regulus and Romulus. <laughs> 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 you still love it. I mean, you, you, uh, well, you're still going to f-
1: Jesus more than all of that. So <laughs> like, all, all of those actually are roads that lead to Jesus. So. <laughs> Yeah. Throwing, but uh, they help me understand the gospel more. And so I love, as a, as a professor, seeing the light come on in the eyes of my students. Uh, but maybe or, or, or close to that is seeing the lights go on in my own eyes. And so uh, I'm reading Hercules, a story about Hercules the other day, where uh, there's a father who's going up onto his mountain to sacrifice his son. And all of a sudden, right before he kills his son, Uh, his only son, whom he loved, um, Hercules, shows up and says, Stop! In the name of love, um, put down the knife, please step away from the knife. Zeus, my father, uh, because Hercules was known as the son of God, my father Zeus does not require human sacrifice. And all of a sudden he points, and over in the bush there is a golden ram, solid gold, uh, or I I don't know if it's just golden color, but they they sacrifice the ram, and uh, they take the fleece, and they put it up in a tree, which becomes the fleece that Jason and the Argonauts, Jason ends up getting uh, with that, the gold leaf, if you remember. And so like seeing things like that, like I've never heard before, uh, just it, 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 it empowers me to continue to dig deeper and try to understand the gospel. All
0: right, let's hit pause there. Cause I, that, okay. So who borrowed from who? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wait, wait, okay. So I've never heard that story, that parallel, obviously Genesis 22 uh, and Abraham and Isaac. I can, send it,
1: I can send it to you if you want to put it online too. For yeah. Your,
0: yeah. Send me the link I'll put it in the yeah, show notes. Um, so what, wait, okay, so when was that story written? My first one Yeah, question. so
1: the very first one that we have that I know of, and I'm just, this is this week that I've uh, stumbled across of it, in the Scandinavian Journal of the Old Testament.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. is <laughs> where I found it. So, uh, But Sophocles is the very first one that we have. Sophocles is around 400 BC. Okay. He's the one who wrote Oedipus Rex or Oedipus the King, if you remember. Uh, and so we, we have fragments of him where he refers to this. In some tales of the stories, it's actually Hermes who shows up and says stop, which makes sense because he's the messenger of the gods. Yeah. one that. Uh, so he borrowed
0: from he, Moses then.
1: <laughs> I think Josephus would say exactly that. Um, this, this article was saying the reverse. He was saying that this idea of the angel of the Lord that we have in the Old Testament uh, is borrowing from uh, Greek and other A&E sources. Yeah. But uh, Josephus and Philo and you know, we can go to our time, C.S. Lewis would say that no, these, these are... Uh, maybe ideas um, that are kind of the census Yeah. Genesis 22, and of course, ultimately, uh, John 3:16 is the, the fulfillment yeah. of what these uh, pagans had um, candlelights of Jesus Christ as the sun that eclipses that.
0: I mean, just okay. So, on a historical level, like, so when we read like parallel flood accounts. Mm -hmm. Some people are troubled by that. So like the, you know, liberals will say, this is clearly where the biblical writers got it from. It's just a myth they're drawing Mm -hmm. on. And conservatives are going to say, no, the parallels, you know, they'll downplay the parallels to me. It's like some, if there was some kind of flood, whether it's global or local, we would expect it to find it's retelling in various pieces of literature. So to me, to find parallels of flood stories is like, it verifies some level of historicity of the flood account, but with Abraham and Isaac, we're not dealing with a global flood here. We're dealing with an isolated incident recorded in Jewish literature, which isn't like, you know, translated and passed around the world. You know, like this is really. So how how, how do you. How do you have parallel accounts in two very different societies or bodies of literature? it just so happened that these two things yeah. happened or to, I mean, maybe a more liberal person might say, you know, these two myths both happen to occur in a different strands of literature. Um,
1: yeah. But if we go back and look at the ancient authors who made these comparisons. Um, and I don't think Josephus mentions this one, but he often says that uh, the stories of like Hercules or Heracles um, and uh, Jason, that they're borrowing off of like Samson. And so they're going to, really? Josephus is going to say okay. that, yeah, the, the Greek heroes are derivative of like what we see the Jewish heroes are. And so you have some of those that are going to come that way. Uh, with the Hercules accounts, sticking with him, uh, Hercules was known as the son of God, the savior of the world. He's the one who went down and overcame death. If you remember, he stole death's dog and brought it back up and led it in a triumphal possession um, because Juno's acting like um, uh, a demon more than a goddess. She's coming after him. And uh, at his death, and Seneca, by the way, gets to, to bring them together if it's not going into too much depth, he actually writes two plays, two tragedies about Hercules. And uh, one is the hero of hell. He's the one who overcomes death um, in hell. And the second one is of his death where he uh, has an apotheosis. He becomes a god and goes and sits at the right hand of his father, um, Zeus. And at that, that account, it sounds like Chuck Norris because uh, when it's time for him to die, uh, death and the fates run away from him. Uh, they take him to his funeral pyre and uh, the, the flames won't take him, and so he thrusts his own body into the flames. And rather than him crying out in pain, the flames cry out in pain. So it's kind of like early church, uh, early church, Norse some um, stories. <laughs> um, and at this point, he goes back down to hell again. He beats up um, the the guy uh, who. To, uh, uh chiron who takes you across the uh, river sticks yeah. he gets his own battle and beats chiron up with the paddle. <laughs> uh, and then he you know hell can't hold him so he goes back up he speaks to his mom and says hey mom don't be don't be don't be sad uh, my part that belongs to you my flesh is burned away uh, but my part that belongs to my father will live with him forever and so there's like worship that's led with hercules he's known as the avert of evil um, whereas the Jews would have Deuteronomy six at their doorpost, um, mm-hmm. a lot of Greeks we have um, uh, the Greeks that would put uh, Hercules uh, dwells in here, so all evil um, run away. And so, as early as Justin Martyr, which he's early second century, so 100, yeah. 150, we have these comparisons. And Justin Martyr is going to say that the pagans are borrowing uh, from uh, Christianity, uh, and so so in one and, and so that that's kind of the the mm-hmm. earliest. Uh, explanations of how these parallels were is that the pagans were borrowing from that celsus the early heretic yeah am i, am I going too deep any to pull up
0: no that's fine no no my audience is pretty i think they're i would think most of them are probably really getting off on this right now so, so some might be okay. lost but yeah yeah
1: well, well celsus was a, a guy who first wrote to uh defame christianity that we have yeah. to say that it was, and he said, hey, why do we need your Jesus Christ? And we have Hercules. Um, and Hercules later on, uh, this dude named Justin, uh, sorry, um, Julian the Apostate, yeah. who was the emperor right after uh, Constantine legalized Christianity. Uh, Julian the yeah. Apostate wanted to make paganism great again. Uh, and so the way he does that is, uh, is he takes the story of Hercules and he borrows stories from Christ. And so now Hercules walks on water. Now Hercules is part of a divine triad with uh, Hera, Zeus, and Hercules, and so you do see that um, early on, Uh, but when it comes to the Old Testament, uh, that's more your area. Well,
0: because that makes sense. I mean, in the early church, now we're a couple hundred years after the the New Testament, Christianity has flourished and spread, so that, that makes perfect sense that in an effort to make paganism great again, they would sort of remap pagan stories on Christianity, but going back to the the Hercules and 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 Abraham and Isaac story, I just don't unless I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, so don't tweet this, but you know, unless there's kind of some common, for lack of better terms, myths floating yeah. around the ancient world that that the retelling of Abraham 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 and Isaac wow. is maybe drawing on and, oh, by the way, this Hercules story is also drawing on, but there's yeah. kind of some common mythical tradition. And if some of you are troubled by the term myth or saying, wait a minute, no, Abraham actually did. Do, I'm not, you know, I'm not denying that. But it clearly, when biblical writers were retelling actual historical events, they would often use yeah. language of myth both to critique kind of the anti-imperial mm-hmm. thing. Um, or yeah. to adopt, you know, we see this, the most blatant example is with Leviathan. We see references to mm-hmm. Leviathan and yeah. Job and, and um, Isaiah and, you know, and Psalms and Levi. you know, Leviathan mm-hmm. occupied a really common myth of, you know, yeah. the, the evil of the, of the sea or, you know, the underworld, whatever. Right. Um, so clearly but biblical Jews, writers. Diaspora, it, with the Jewish diaspora,
1: uh, the Jews are all around, and they're telling these stories yeah. to their Greek neighbors. Um, and so it, it, it makes sense, it's intuitive to me that some of these Greeks would hear this story, like, man, that's a great story. Right. Let's just kind of change the names right, uh, and right. make it our own story um, in light of the diaspora. And so, again, it goes back to the interpenetration. So, we could talk about the Persian or the Babylonian influence upon the Jews uh, and their soteriology, their, their understanding of creation or salvation. Uh, but that goes the other way as well. And yeah. so, it makes sense that, uh, that they would borrow these stories uh, of their own account. And so, they would take from the real thing and make a myth out of it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, C.S. Lewis, he's going to argue that these type of uh, seeds are an example of God disseminating uh, notions of the gospel huh. so that when Christ came in the fullness of time, uh, they have, oh, well we have this type of story, and now they see right. it's fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so he sees it as this kind of divine evangelist um, idea that hmm. puts these myths that are is a breadcrumb trail to um, the person of Jesus Christ.
0: That makes sense to me. And and yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of this when I did a lot of work on the, in the Dead Sea Scrolls where you have, you know, yeah. 50, 100 years before Jesus. Uh-huh. I mean, striking, shocking parallels to stuff in the gospels. Like there's one in, um. Oh gosh, I haven't thought about this stuff in so long. But uh, <laughs> the the community rule, which yeah. is referred to as one QS, uh, one is the cave number that it was found in of the eight or nine caves that this literature is found in. But one QS is kind of like a I don't know. It's kind of like the Ephesians of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Kind of talked about a lot of like ecclesiology, community rules, really. And, and yeah. um, at the end of that, I think it's at the end of the. World. It talks about, you know, when the Messiah comes and sits down with his 12, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. elders and they break bread and drink wine together. And this is like 50 years before, 100 years before the New Testament, you know, 50 years. Yeah. And it's like, so wait a minute, you know, you could in your freak out moment say, gosh, the New Testament is just all made up. They're just borrowing from stuff that's already existed or it actually did happen. It's just God took those breadcrumbs that were kind of scattered throughout history and to, to give people to kind of prepare people for the significance of actual events that happened, you know? Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not either, or, you know, some people make so much about the parallels to me. It's like, it just shows that the biblical story and the gospel wasn't written in a vacuum. It wasn't, it was in real space, real time. And people had categories in their minds and hearts already prepared by God in history for these events. I mean, to me, it's just, it's exciting and, and, and wow. gives life and earthiness to the new Testament, you know? Yeah. But.
1: So that answers your question. on <laughs> All
0: right. What about, uh, I just heard you make a comment recently on a podcast about Jesus as a cynic. And, um, you made a distinction between, you know, lowercase C cynic and uppercase C cynic. And I, I, I can't remember. I thought you might've said he was both. Um, maybe not. I don't know. No. But, or no, he was more of a, just a capital C cynic.
1: And yeah, if so yeah, well, a lot of people would have considered him a capital C cynic in the Greco-Roman world. So, so, so to we, help
0: us understand, again, for the junior hire, uh, sure. what is a capital C cynic and why do you think Jesus uh, fit that kind of mold?
1: Yeah, so just like maybe in our church, we have different denominations today uh, that stem back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, in the Greco-Roman world, you had... Uh, uh, all of these, these denominations, if you will, that kind of go back to Socrates and Plato. So uh, N.T. Wright has made, has made it popular by saying uh, Homer would be the Old Testament of the Greeks, hmm. and Plato would be the New Testament of the Greeks. So you have all these different denominations, one of which is the uh, Stoics that I was talking about with Seneca. Uh, but the Epicureans, your group may be familiar with. Um, and another popular one was the Cynics. And the Cynics actually comes from the Greek word dogs. Um, and their idea was to get back to nature, um, and so they were minimalists. Um, they uh, were—they wanted to live a simple life. Um, we're all just animals, uh, basically, and so they would defecate in public. Um, they would urinate. They would do other things in public that uh, we would not do. i um, inappropriate uh, to say, just to say, hey, we're, we're all animals, but part of this is that uh, they would be homeless, um, and uh, so when Jesus would say the Birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to um, lay his oh. head. That, that would come across as being very cynic. Um, so uh, the idea of why would have two cloaks, um, If you, you don't need two cloaks. You don't need two pairs of sandals. Give away one. Uh, and so well, even what we see with John the Baptist, uh, this idea of uh, you don't, you only need one bag. Just take what you need uh, resonates uh, with the cynics, um, going back uh, to what nature is. Uh, Again, Jesus wasn't like the cynics in the sense of uh, pushing back and trying to scandalize in the sense of uh, urinating in public and all those other things. Uh, But when he makes a comment, when he doesn't wash his hands before he eats or his disciples, uh, this would be something to uh, a popular first century audience would sound very cynical because it's not what goes into your mouth. You don't need to wash your hands. We're just animals. It's what comes out of the, the heart that makes you impure.
0: And so there are a lot of uh,
1: resonances with the cynics um, and uh, Jesus in the gospels, particularly with the earthly Jesus of Mark's gospel.
0: Yeah. Sounds like Shane Claiborne. <laughs> Not that he's defecating in public, but, or I don't, I don't know. I haven't followed him around, but um, that's it. So what about, so Jesus is clearly in a Jewish Palestinian context, cynics or Greco-Roman thing. Would there mm-hmm. be any intentional kind of, playing on those themes or can we connect those dots given that he's not Uh, like Jesus is running around Asia minor doing this stuff. I mean, right,
1: right. Well, if uh, it's correct that Mark is writing to a a Roman uh, context, the the Roman audience is going to see that um, connection. If you remember Mark, um, he has a lot of uh, Latin phrases that he has to explain. And so uh, the, the the first audiences of the gospels weren't uh, particularly Jewish. They were a mix of Jewish Gentiles. And so, uh, whether Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wanted to depict Jesus as a cynic or a stoic or whatever yeah. um, uh, for the debate. But many in the audience would make those connections. And that podcast is uh, trying to move from cynicism to uh, solutions, I think is their, their <laughs> tagline. It's like, uh, the Catacomb podcast. What's up, Jay? Uh, and so I was just kind of pushing back to say there is a, a place for cynicism yeah. in the sense of uh, being minimalistic, simple. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Yeah. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things. Um, and so, a lot of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount would resonate with some of the cynic um, ethics.
0: What about, uh, this is going to shift us gears, I guess, but it's a good segue. What about the lowercase c cynicism? Um, yeah. And I'll just confess, I do battle with that brand of cynicism when it comes to uh, for specifically the American evangelical church. Um, and I try hard, really hard to not let that get the best of me or whatever, but man, sometimes the church can give you a lot of material to work with. (laughs) Um, and I, 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 here's where I want to, here's where I'm going with this. For some reason, I don't know when you, when you both go outside of America and experience a brand of Christianity, that's not American. And also when you go through a lot of just intellectual study, scholarly study, I don't know, it, it, it's hard not to be cynical sometimes. Have you experienced that in your uh, life?
1: Um, of course. I mean, <laughs> as scholars, we're, we're training ourselves to be skeptics, which is another uh, version, uh, another denomination in the first century, um, and cynics. That, that's kind of what we're trained to do. Huh. We question everything. Uh, we think everyone, everything, uh, everyone has uh, their own baggage that they bring uh, to the text, for example. And so, uh, there, I, I, there, there is some value in asking questions, but if those questions do, does not end in hope, um, of course you talk about the church. Um, uh, Philip Yancey has the, the book, uh, church, why bother? Yeah. You know, so there's many of us that get to that um, experience where we're like, why, um, I, I just wanted to punt when it comes to church, but, uh, that cynicism has to lead to hope because we realize that, uh, ephesians 5 21 and following that christ is uh, washing the church and mm-hmm. the reason the church is messed up is because we're messed up as well and so um I, I don't think there's i don't think it's wrong to start with some cynic ideas with respect to questioning uh seeing problems but we need to make sure we take the planks out of our own eyes yeah and also look at um keep our mind fixed on christ rather than the, yeah. the problems of people
0: denominationally yeah, I mean, just- right are you still but, Southern? Are you officially Southern Baptist? I know that was your background and, and somewhat of your foreground, but is that.
1: I tell people I'm Southern Baptist like the Olive Gardens Italian. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm really bad Southern Baptist. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, that's I I've, 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 uh, uh, I went to Washington Baptist University as an undergrad, which was uh, in cooperation with Southern Baptist and with the Southwestern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. And mm. I've served uh, under the Church of Southern Baptist up until now, working with Denver Seminary. And so uh, my roots are in Missionary Baptist and Southern Baptist world.
0: And you were, you were a pastor at a Southern Baptist church in Wachita, right?
1: Yeah, that's right in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, right, First Baptist. Um, but it, it's kind of like the Olive Garden of yeah. Southern Baptists as
0: well. So it's it's uh, kind yeah, of you know. was if I can. It's just I, I don't know Southern Baptist history at all. But I mean, it sounds like I mean, right? Like right now, you have, and I don't mean this in a positive or negative way, just a factual way. You have kind of the wake created by Al Mohler coming into Southern Seminary, wow. and uh, which has bled into Gospel Coalition, and and so you have a a brand of Southern Baptist church right now the the dominant brand i would say that is what people think of when they think southern baptist but pre right. al molar come to southern seminary there was i mean one the, if i correct me if i'm wrong but one of the reasons why they brought him in was because of the so-called liberalism that was widespread right. in southern, southern seminary research. and um so you still have kind of a um the pre al Molar southern seminary brand of southern baptist church that would be more uh, centrist, if not more liberal in the evangelical kind of scheme of things. Um, and yeah. your church would fit more in that kind of centrist middle r- left.
1: Yeah, it was weird at our church. We had uh, a great spectrum. And so we would have people on the far right and people on the far left. Oh, um, you okay. remember, uh yeah, you remember some of my friends, two best friends there. That one's a hardcore Republican. <laughs> ben Shapiro is not Is uh, left as a liberal to him. The other one on the opposite side of that spectrum but we all came together and focused on the gospel and mission and um got along miraculously yeah uh, I mean, so, yeah there, there wasn't a, a single area i mean it probably leaned a little bit to the left just because we had so many university professors yeah. from two universities but it was a beautiful mix of people that uh, realized that th- those are not the issues that we're going yeah. to focus
0: on have you guys found a church yet in denver probably not right
1: Man, it's crazy. So uh the very first church we've gone to, we've fallen in love with. Uh we the first family that we met, uh, we were walking our dog uh and they asked us where we we're from, and we we're like, Well, we're from Arkansas. Where in Arkansas? We said, Well, Arkadelphia. And she's like, No way, I went to Washington Badas University. Yeah. And I was like, Well, it's out there. And then she said, uh, well who, who, what's your name? And I said, I told her my name. And then she's like, Well, Aubrey Smith was my best friend, and Aubrey was one of my all-star students uh, there. And uh, so she's like, you should come to our church. And so we go to this church. She says, it's Charismatic Anglican. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the same look as what I made. Yeah. Charismatic <laughs> Anglican? Uh, what is this? Uh, and we went, um, and we've only been here for three Sundays. Okay. Wow, we've really enjoyed it. I, I'm not a crier, as you know. Yeah. Um, emotions have to sneak up on me um, and tackle me. But the spirit uh, at this place is just it's so palpable that there's times where I, I can't, I have to stop singing because I just feel.
0: Wow. Um,
1: so I'm not sure that's where God's going to have us. Um, yeah. but uh, that's where we're really enjoying it. My son's coming to Utah uh, next week on a mission trip with them working with refugees. Wow. Uh, and he hasn't even met the youth pastor yet. So, wow. but anyway, we're enjoying that so far.
0: Are you free to share the name of it or would you rather not? It's
1: at uh, Wellspring.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wellspring Inglewood.
0: We were at, um, uh, a church called Denver United more down, kind of downtown area that's an okay. awesome yeah. church fairly multicultural right. very community engaged mm-hmm. theologically i think and it with healthy diversity and just really yeah. really great people there really enjoyed it but
1: right. um, i i've i've heard a lot of compliments about a lot of churches yeah. um which is refreshing cuz usually you go to a place and you're getting uh the, the insults about the churches <laughs> the baggage about them but um, yeah it seems like God's doing a great thing among the churches around here well denver
0: seems like a very kind of post-christian mm-hmm. area so that yeah usually places like that like portland or other places yeah the churches tend to be much more united because there's such a strong right. stronghold that they're you know uh, yeah. against so um wow man so what do you uh what are you working on right now scholarship wise writing wise what are you thinking through Sure. Yeah. Besides, so besides, with, besides uh, the Hercules thing, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Regulus and Hercules uh, are two journal articles that I have out right now, and then um, I'm spending a lot of time in Colossians. I'm writing a Colossians through Philemon commentary series. Really? Uh, yeah. So with uh, Brandon Smith and Michael Bird are the editors for it, the Christian Standard. Uh, Tom Schreiner's book is uh, in that series, is coming out uh, soon, and cool. I'm doing the Colossians through Philemon. From what I heard, it's almost like they're making the the NAC, uh, the New American Commentary. Kind of redoing that. Okay. Um, and so I've been spending a lot of time in Colossians trying to have something new to say. As you know, most commentaries are kind of rearranging of the furniture, but I'm trying yeah. to dis- discover some new furniture, hence the Hercules and the Regulus um, issues. Um, yeah. uh, and then, secondly, I'm writing a book on Romans 7, so okay. uh, with Lexum. Yeah, and it's one of those ideas where they're taking what's really popular and common in scholarship and bringing it down uh, to the church. And so I'm excited about that. And then Likely my magnum opus is I'm writing a Roman's commentary for Brill. Um, Brill, exegetical um, under Stanley Porter.
0: No way. Wait, that's the one uh, that that's been, that commentary series has been in the works for over a dozen years, I think. Right.
1: Yeah, uh, That's right. So, and uh, mine's, mine's a 10 to 12 year project um, yeah. for that. And so I've written one journal article on that, um, arguing about the intercession of the spirit. Where does Paul get that? Is that seminal when he talks about the spirit of God praying for us? Cause we have a lot of people that pray for us in scripture, a lot of mediators, but God is never one who mediates. And so is this something that Paul just pulls out of the apocalyptic gospel when, he, when Jesus uh, knocks him on his uh, donkey um, on Damascus? Um, or is Paul drawing for something? And so I have a, a, an essay coming out in a book volume that's uh, arguing that, no, this is Paul uh, drawing from the wisdom of Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon has a similar idea. Except in the wisdom of Solomon, the spirit of God takes our evil thoughts up to God. For condemnation. Really? Uh, yeah. So your, your bad thoughts that you have, the Spirit of God takes it and says, look at this. But uh, with Paul, he has the same idea, but now there's now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. And so the Spirit of God can take a break from accusing us and now bringing intercession on our behalf. And so hmm. uh, that, that's only my really first step into the Romans commentary, but I'm teaching Romans here. That's my major thing to teach at Denver Seminary. And so I'm hoping to be able to double dip and start working on it.
0: So if you want to attend, uh, if you want to sit under Dr. Joseph Dodson and uh, learn about this Joey. Hercules and uh, <laughs> Regulus and Seneca and Romans. Jesus uh, and Paul. Jesus and Paul and, and Paul in the gospel and throwing <laughs> ice cold water on junior high girls, then please consider uh, Denver Seminary.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm studying. And we have an awful online program as well. Um, and a THM. Oh right on. I'm, I'm the least of the apostles here. Lynn Coic, uh, Craig Bomberg, Rick Hess. Um, and the list goes on and on and on.
0: Is um, how Hess is still there? How, how about um, yeah. oh, who is that guy that wrote that great immigration book? Um, he grew up in uh, Central America, I think.
1: Hey, yeah, ben yeah. Is, yeah, he's not here anymore. Oh, he's Sadly, uh, I think he's at Wheaton now. Oh, okay. I think he's gone. But yeah, he's a fantastic guy. But yeah, so I'm the least of the least of the least uh, yeah. of the apostles here. So wow. I just kind of
0: snuck in. And you guys have good um, kind of hybrid programs too, where you can do like modules live. I think they don't, they ship That's out right. professors for like a couple of days all day and That's then they right. do the rest. Yeah. Online? So we have,
1: we have a site in Amarillo, um, which every time I hear, I want to bust into a George Strait song. <laughs>
0: Amarillo uh, and, by morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And a site in DC um, as well. And so we're doing a lot of great things. Um, uh, of course, I'm focusing more on biblical studies, New Testament studies, but uh, they boast that our counseling program is the best in the world if you're looking at doing Christian counseling, Christian psychology.
0: Okay. You don't have uh, Larry Crabb out there, do you? Because I know he's in Colorado.
1: No. I yeah. I, I don't think, know where he is. But, I think
0: he's in Denver. He was. I don't know. But anyway. Well, dude, thanks so much for being on Theology yeah. in the Raw. Uh, where can people yeah. check out your stuff? Do you, I, do you even have a website? I should know this, but do you have a website or just social media? No, I think if you go to Denver Seminary,
1: uh, sooner or later, it'll have my CV it okay. with my publications. Um, right now, you can go to uh, uh, obu.edu, um, Washtenaw Baptist University, it starts with an O, despite it. Um, and my CV with all of my publications um, okay. is there. Um, but I don't have a... Proper website. Well, you're active you on know, Twitter I'm too, just, right? I, I'm Preston. I'm Preston sprinkle's best friend. That's how I introduce myself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're like, "Oh, you're Preston's friend," which makes me feel like uh, Peter and Andrew uh, in the Gospel. You know, Andrew. Every time Andrew's introduced, is like, "Oh yeah, that's Philip. I mean, that's uh, Peter's brother. Peter's brother. You know?
0: Yeah. Oh uh, stop. Uh, no,
1: I, I consider it an honor to be called your best friend. <laughs>
0: Well, you're on, a, you're pretty active on, are you still active on Twitter much? I mean, I see. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, Twitter,
1: yeah, I haven't been because we've been transitioning, right. it's been so crazy, but um, it's uh, O D S O N.
0: Man, why'd you, uh, you get that other
1: R? I'm like, Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I'm, it's a legacy, I'm living for Tolkien, so I'm a big <laughs> Tolkien fan, as you remember, yeah. uh, and I have, I'm a junior, so you can take the junior and bring it in with the extra R, but um, yeah, J-R-R, Dotson, and then I, I'm on Instagram probably more than I am on Twitter because okay. I'm posting all of my hikes and trail runs yeah you
0: gotten oh. into the mountains quite a bit over the last few years
1: right uh, I've loved the mountains you know when we went to the Sawtooth uh, I think I had some incipient um, a fetish for the mountains but that just made it uh, run rampage um, yeah I love hiking um, so I can't wait to meeting up with you and
0: hiking I know man yeah we gotta plan something out. alright dude I gotta run dude thanks so much for being on the show bro.
1: Yeah, love you man all right, thanks you guys time. take care Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. If you benefited from it and if you are benefited from your regularly your regular listening to theology in the Ra, please consider supporting the show. You can go to patreon.com forward slash theology in the Ra, and you can support the show. This is a listener-supported podcast. So if you have been blessed by it. Challenged by it If you enjoyed this show And other shows Then please consider supporting By going to Patreon.com Forward slash theology raw. Also if you're like Dude I'm broke I'm bankrupt Or dude I've given All my money away To the poor Then that's awesome Well it's not awesome That you're bankrupt But it's awesome That you're giving away All your money to the poor There are other ways You can help support the show Like uh, Dropping a review I don't know how it all works But apparently Reviewing the show Really helps out So If you don't have any money or even if you do have money, if you've got tons of money or no money, either way, why don't you consider going and uh, dropping in a review of the show? Um, It must be a positive review. No, just kidding. You can drop any review. I don't know. If you hate the show, then go write a negative review. It's just part of living in a free democratic society. It's the way it goes. So um, please take the time. Take 30 seconds. Take a minute and go drop a quick review of the show um, in the... I don't even know where you do it. I'm sure you know more than I do. I don't know. Where do you review this podcast? Probably in iTunes somewhere or maybe in, in um, uh, I don't know, some other podcast platform. I don't know what I'm talking about. You probably do. Go read, a, go drop a review somewhere. I'm going to stop before I just keep, yeah, um, stepping on my own tongue. So thanks for listening to the show. We'll see you next time on Theology in the Ra.